Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avino Malkino, our Father, our King, Lord, we delight to say that you are our God and we are your people. Lord, we want to say that we love you tonight and that we welcome your Holy Spirit into this place. We know, Lord, that we are meeting together in various parts of the world via the medium of the internet and Skype and sitting in front of our computers and in front of our our laptops and things like that. But Lord, we know that you are all-powerful. We know that your presence can penetrate through the technology and reach into our very hearts and to touch us afresh. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open our eyes to see truth, to understand the words of Scripture, Uh, reminding us again about the words of the Master Yeshua, helping us to recommit our lives to Him and to submit ourselves to His teaching and to uh, make a determination that we will not yield to error, that we will not give in and cave in to the, the, uh, what do we say, the the popular teachings of today, the the things that uh, one of my uh, listeners says tickles our ears. Lord, but we have made a resolve that we will uh, uh, stand by your word, and that we will be rooted and grounded in the word, and that we will seek truth, and that we will walk by it and live our lives and govern our lives according to it. Uh, help us to stay strong, as we say at the end of every, uh, um, at the end of every uh, a, a, a completion of a book of the Torah. Chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. May we be strong, be strong, and be strengthened as we seek your face. Uh, Lord, give me a. Um, a holy boldness to preach uh, that which I've studied, um, to share that which I've uh, been um, pressing into all week. Um, Help me to recall the words and the thoughts that you've laid on my heart. Uh, Keep me uh, circumspect. Help me to be careful with my words because I know that so many are listening. Um, I pray that you'll forgive me where I err. and, And the words that are your words, Lord, let those be the ones that take root within the hearts of those who are listening tonight. Uh, continue to raise us up as a community, as lights, as salt, as um, as voices of sanity in a world that's really quite insane. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome opportunity. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory of Yeshua. Amen. 
All right, well, thanks everyone for joining me again uh, for another week of studying through the book of Galatians week by week. This is week 50. Let's date stamp the recording. It's um, January 7th, 2017, and we've begun a new year. So, Lashana Haba'a, right? As we say around Passover time next year, well, Shana Tova, I guess, Happy New Year, if I were to merge the, the greeting of Hebrew with uh, the Gregorian calendar New Year, just say Happy New Year to everyone, right? Um, good to have everyone join me again for a, a fresh New Year. Um, just to want to remind everyone that we are in week 50 and that normally we would take a two-week break uh, after week 50, but we started our two-week semester break uh, a bit early uh, due to Hanukkah, and so I hope everyone had a blessed Hanukkah, uh, a, uh, a Yeshua-filled festival, and that you let your lights shine through your Hanukkahs, okay? All right, let's uh, open up with some liturgy. I've got Deuteronomy chapter 6 pulled up for you on the screen for those of you who are joining me live via Skype. Um, and for those of you who can't join us live, I do uh, welcome you out every week, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, via Skype. Just head on out to my website at www.tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And right on the homepage, you can either click on the banner along the top that says Live Galatians Study, or you can click on the link that says Galatians Commentary, and all of the relevant information is there available for you, including links to the audio teachings that I'm making right now each week. Uh, once I get them recorded and edited a few days later, I'd like to uh, upload them to iTunes as well as upload them to my website so that those of you who can't make it week by week, you can go back and catch the audio recording and see what you missed. Okay, Each recording is about an hour long, and that includes the liturgy. Okay, let's read the liturgy tonight. Um, this is the one we've been using for the section that we're in, which is right around Galatians chapter 2, uh, around verse uh, 15, 16, 17, through the end of the chapter. That's kind of the, the section that we're in. And the liturgy that we've been using is Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 1 through, say, 9, which includes uh, one of the verses out of the Shema proper, that most of us are used to praying uh, at least twice a day during our set time prayers. And then I jump down to verse 20 through the end of the chapter there, uh, 20 through 25, because of uh, the way it's going to play into our discussion about um, the righteousness of the law. All right, let's read the English first. This time I've decided to go ahead and use uh, one of my all-time favorite versions, which is the Complete Jewish Bible by a Messianic Jewish author, uh, translator David H. Stern, who uh, happens to be... One of the versions uh, that I basically cut my teeth on as a, as, a, as a baby messianic. So let's read his version, starting in verse 1, and then I'll read the Hebrew after that. Now this is the mitzvah, the laws and the rulings which Adonai your God ordered me to teach you, for you to obey in the land you are crossing over to possess. Verse 2, so that you will fear Adonai your God and observe all his regulations and mitzvot that I am giving you, you, your child, and your grandchild, as long as you live, so that you will have long life. Verse 3, Therefore listen, Israel, and take care to obey, so that things will go well with you, and so that you will increase greatly, as Adonai, the God of your ancestors, promised you, by giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. Verse 5, 
And you are to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and all your resources. Verse 6, these words which I am ordering you today are to be on your heart. And you are to teach them carefully to your children. You are to talk about them when you sit at home and when you are traveling on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Verse 8, tie them on your hand as a sign. Put them at the front of a head of a headband around your forehead. Verse 9, and write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. And then I want to jump down uh, to verse 20. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, is it verse 20 that I want to start? Okay, yeah, starting at verse 20, uh, we pick up the reading again, David Stern's version. Someday your child will ask you, what is the meaning of the instructions, laws, and rulings which Adonai or God has laid down for you? Verse 21, then you will tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Verse 22. Adonai worked great and terrible signs and wonders against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household before our very eyes. Verse 23. He brought us out from there in order to bring us to the land he had sworn to our ancestors that he would give us. Verse 24. Adonai ordered us to observe all these laws, to fear Adonai our God, excuse me, always for our own good, so that he might keep us alive as we are today. Verse 25, the final verse, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to obey all these mitzvot before Adonai our God, just as he ordered us to do. Okay, let's go back and uh, read the Hebrew of that. And uh, what I've done for you is I've got biblehub.com uh, pulled up for you, for those of you who are in the in the uh, live chat with me tonight in Skype. You can see on your screen I've got uh, kind of an interlinear thing going on. Uh, I've got uh, the Hebrew right there in black. I've got a link to the Strong's Hebrew numbers. I've got a transliterated Hebrew just below that using English letters. And I've got a wooden translation in the red below that. And then finally, I've got uh, what you might call the, uh, um, oh, maybe the parsings or whatnot, all the parts of speech of each uh, Hebrew word just below that. So I'm just going to read the Hebrew for you of those same verses. Let's read. It reads, starting over here on the right, V'zot ha-mitzvah ha-chukim ha-mishpatim ha-shirtziva Adonai Elochechem l'lamed edchem la-asot ba-aretz ha-shiratim Avarim, I'm sorry, Overim Shema Lorishta. Verse 2. Starting right there. Lalamed Tihtire et Adonai Elohecha Lishmor et Kol Huchotaiv Umishpotaiv Asher Anochi Metzave. I'm sorry, yes, Metzave etchem Uvincha Uvein Bincha Kol Yme Chayecha Ulmaan. Arichun Yimecha, starting at verse three, Veshemata Yisrael, Veshemarta Lasot Asher Yitav, yeah Yitav Lacha Asher Tirbun. It's kind of confusing to read the, the the Hebrew right in the middle of all these other English words. So I apologize, my eyes not used to it. It's kind of busy. Uh, let's pick up right there. Tirbun Maod Kasher Diber Adonai Elohi Avotecha. Lach Ertzvach Chalav Udavash. We'll start in verse 4 here, which is where most of us are familiar with for our Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad, which David Stern just transliterated the same verse uh, from Hebrew over into English. Starting in verse 5, 
ואהבת את אדוני אלוהיך בכל לבבך ובכל נפשך ובכל מאודיך. והיה הדברים האלה אשר אנוכי מצבך היום על לבביך. ושינתם לבניך ודברת בם בשבתך בביתך ובלכתך ודרך ובשכבך ובקומך. Verse 8, scroll down a bit. Uh, verse 8, Verse 9, And now let's scroll down to verse 20, and through the end of the chapter. Pick up the rest of the reading. Alright, starting here. Kishalcha <laughs> ויתן אדוני אותות ומופתים גדולים ורעים במצרים בפרעה ובכל ביתו לעינינו. Verse 23. ואותנו חוצים, חוצים משם למען, ויצבינו אדוני לעשות את כל החוקים האלה ליראה את אדוני אלוקינו לטוב כל הימים לחיינו כהיום הזה. And the final pasuk, the final verse, pasuk means verse, this is the one that's kind of kicking off the whole discussion tonight, is וצדקה תהיה לנו כי נשמור לעשות את כל המצווה הזאת לפני אדוני אלוהינו כאשר ציוונו. This idea of and it will be righteousness to us, right? We know that in Christian circles that uh, righteousness from the law is something that um, the Christian church is not fond of speaking or teaching about. But we're going to talk about it nevertheless. All right, let's jump over to our passage out of the Apostolic Scriptures, a.k.a. the Brit Chadasha, a.k.a. the New Testament. And we're going to pick up the reading in uh, right about where we're going to be doing our discussion for the uh, commentary, which is um, Galatians chapter 2, and I'm going to back up to verse 15 and read down through the end of the chapter this time. So 15 through 21, Galatians chapter 2. Again, let's use David Stern's CJB because of the interesting way he translates uh, a phrase that we're going to talk about, uh, works of the law, or something like that. So starting in verse 15, David Stern reads, quote, We are Jews by birth, not so-called goyish sinners. <laughs> Gotta love David Stern's um, Yiddish there, right? Goyish sinners. Uh, verse 16, Even so, we've come to realize that a person is not declared righteous by God on the ground of his legalistic observance of Torah commands, but through the Messiah Yeshua's trusting faithfulness. Therefore, we too have put our trust in Messiah Yeshua, and become faithful to him in order that we might be declared righteous on the ground of the Messiah's trusting faithfulness, and not on the ground of our legalistic observance of Torah commands. For on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands, no one 
will be declared righteous. Verse 17. But if, in seeking to be declared righteous by God through our union with the Messiah, we ourselves are indeed found to be sinners, then is the Messiah an aider and a better of sin? Heaven forbid. Verse 18. Indeed, if I build up again the legalistic bondage which I destroyed, I really do make myself a transgressor. Verse 19. For it was through letting the Torah speak for itself that I died to its traditional legalistic misinterpretation, so that I might live in direct relationship with God. Verse 20. When the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too, so that my proud ego no longer lives. But the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, I live by the same trusting faithfulness that the Son of God had, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Verse 21, I do not reject God's gracious gift. For if the way in which one attains righteousness is through legalism, then the Messiah's death was pointless. Okay, let's go back and read the uh, Greek of those same passages. For those of you who are in the class right now, if you look at your screen, I've got Bible Hub pulled up again. And the same layout from top to bottom. Got your uh, Strong's numbers. Then I've got a kind of a transliterated Greek. Then I've got the Greek text itself in the black. And then I've got some wooden word for word English going on in the red below that. And then we've got the uh, uh, kind of the parsings or the parts of speech or the. Uh, uh, I can't remember what the Bible Hub likes to call these uh, words down here at the bottom. You click on them and you can find out what part of speech and uh, uh, what person the, the, the Greek is in, the voices and the moods and the inflections and things like that. All right, let's read the Greek. It reads, Heme, starting in verse 15, Heme fusoi, fis, I'm sorry, fuse eudaioi, kai uk ex ethnon homartoloi, verse, uh, verse 16, edates de hati u Dikaiutai anthropos ex ergonamu in media pistios Christu Jesu, kai hemes eis Christon Jesun epistusamen, hina dikaiothomen et pistios Christu kai u ex ergonamu hati ex ergonamu u dikaiothesitai pasasarx. Verse 17. Scroll up a bit. E de zetuntes dikaiothenai in Christo. Hure themen, kai autoi hamartoloi, ara Christos hamartias diakonos. And that's a question, right? And then Paul answers with meganoito, which is that kind of that may it never be. Chalila would be the, the Hebrew equivalent. Verse 18, ege, I'm sorry, egar ha katalusa tauta palen oikadama parabatain uh what is it? Emautan sunastano. Verse 19. Let me scroll up a bit here for you. Oops, there we go. Verse 19, starting right about there. Ego gardia namo, namu namo, apethanan hina theo zeso. Verse 20. Christo sunastaro mai zo de uketi ego ze de en emoi. Christos hode nunzo in sarki in piste, zote tu huiu tu theu tu agape santas. And then finishing out verse 20, me kai paradantos, huitan huper emu. And then the final verse, uh, where Paul says, I don't set aside the grace of God, if indeed through the law of righteousness, then Christ died for nothing. 
uk asetu tain karen tu seu egardia namu dikaiusune ara Christos durian apethanin. All right. Sometimes I'm really good with the Greek, and other times it just just I can't get in the Greek mindset. Um, I'm, I'm juggling five different languages that I can read in my head, right? English, Hebrew, Greek, Spanish. Oddly enough, I can still read Spanish. And Korean. So sometimes my brain just goes tilt. All right. Uh, sometimes it's really all just Greek to me. <laughs> anyway, let's jump into the commentary tonight. Um, those of you who've been following along with us, we are near the top of page 99. We stopped with this uh, discussion about, um, really about what does Paul mean with this phrase, works of law, and the fact that we're not justified by the works of law, but we're justified by faith in Christ. And um, you can see near the top of page 99 in my commentary that uh, we left off, there's a, a quote there from James D.G. Dunn's New Perspective on Paul. And so I'll go ahead and read that that uh, uh, last um paragraph there because it provides a nice segue into tonight's teaching. James Dunn's final thoughts on um, the the verses we just read, which was basically Galatians 2.16 about uh, uh, not being justified by the works of the law, but being justified by the faith of Christ. Uh, James Dunn's conclusion is that the conclusion follows very strongly that when Paul denied the possibility of being justified by works of the law, it is precisely this basic Jewish self-understanding which Paul's attacking. And this is um, the idea that God's acknowledgement of covenant status is bound up with, even dependent upon, observance of these particular regulations. The idea that God's verdict of acquittal hangs to any extent on the individuals having declared its membership of the covenant people by embracing these distinctively Jewish rites. Okay. And most of you know by now that um, I don't follow with the traditional Christian understanding of the book of Galatians that Paul's seeking to dismantle the Torah or uproot the Torah in favor of of law of Christ or in favor of walking by the Spirit, something to that effect. Um, and yet it's it's um, it's extremely popular in today's Christian circles, especially if you head on out to your average Christian bookstore and pick up a commentary to the book of Galatians, that you're going to find that most commentaries are going to tell you that uh, Paul is combating uh, either a, a form of works righteousness in the first century, a kind of a merit theology, some idea that the Jewish people of the first century were hoping that God would recognize their Torah observance and uh, bring them into right standing with himself, uh, viz, uh, uh, bring them into a, a, a position of, of uh becoming saved. In other words, the Christians teach, Christianity teaches that the Jewish people of the first century were keeping the Torah to become saved. And uh, I don't follow with that theology. Obviously, I don't follow with that conclusion. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying the Jewish people can become saved by keeping the Torah. But I think that's even starting on the wrong foot. So let's pick up the reading in my commentary with chapter 2, verse 19. And basically, as you notice, you'll see I'm skipping verses as I'm um, as I'm commenting on them. And the reason I'm doing that is because the whole of my verse-by-verse -verse section in Galatians is not really a verse-by-verse -verse, uh, exposition of the book. It's because, for the most part, there are, there's a lot of agreement that I have with Christian commentaries. And for that reason, I don't want you to throw away your Christian commentaries, people. Don't throw them away. There's actually a lot of good in there that you can gain. Right? There's a lot of work that's been done by the commentators, commentators themselves. And uh, I know that 
most of them are well-meaning and that they believe that their position is accurate and that they've been led by the Spirit. So I think we need to recognize their valuable contribution to the Christian community, albeit we have our differences as Messianics, right? We need to, uh, as I say, chew up the meat and spit out the bones. So the parts that are not edible, the parts that tell us to stop keeping Torah, those are the bones. You know what I'm saying? Spit those out. But the parts that tell us to live a holy life and to love God and to... uh, um, to press on towards holiness and to lead a sanctified life and to be filled with the Spirit, etc., etc. All of those are right on the mark, and we need to embrace those parts. Those are the meat, so let's let's keep those parts. So I'm not commenting on every verse in the book of Galatians because I think um, some of the parts aren't really in sharp disagreement between Christians and Messianics. So it's really only the parts where we have the sharpest disagreements, usually the, the verses that mention Torah or law, the verses that talk about righteousness, the verses verses that mention works, uh, things like that, the parts that, that where Paul seems to be saying some disparaging words about the law. Those are the parts that I've highlighted in my commentary, and those are the ones that we're going to be dealing with. So, we jump from verse 16 in chapter 2 down to verse 19. Okay? So let's read. Uh, the version that you're reading here in my commentary uh, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I think that's I think that's ESV, if I'm correct. Um, here's my comments. At first blush, this verse, right, for through the law I die to the law, Paul says, it seems to spell the end of any Torah of relevance for the apostle. In, in fact, taking at face value, that's basically how your average Christian church is going to teach it. Your average pastor is going to teach it from the pulpit. Paul died to the law, and they're going to interpret this phrase, died to the law, as died to any obedience to the law, died to any uh, obligation to its commands. And so uh, it's going to be taught very popularly that Christians, like Paul, have also died to the law. If Paul died to the law, and he's teaching the Galatians that they Two have died the law, and because the words of of Paul here are scripture, then it stands to reason that we too, as Gentile Christians and also Jewish Christians, must be dead to the law, right? And by that, we mean dead to its interpretation in our life, dead to its application in our life. But is that what Paul's meaning? Let's go back and see. A careful reading will reveal its true meaning. Here's what I have to say. Prior to his salvation experience, Shaul was blinded to his true condition. And what was that? It was actually dead in trespasses and sin. That was his true condition. However, now that the Spirit has taken up residence within him via the sacrificial death of Yeshua, Paul can actually look back, right? Hindsight, we say, is twenty twenty. He can look back on how the Torah actually played a part in bringing him to this newfound revelation about himself. And what was that? It's that the Torah, working in concert with the Spirit of God, right? Remember, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is a lethal combination. Lethal in that it will slay a man. And that's exactly what it's designed to do. The Word of God, working in concert with the Spirit of God, revealed to Paul sin for what it was. What was it? Sin is a violation of God's righteous standard. So, thus, Paul can say, he can realize now that through the law, through the Torah, that is, through its proper function of revealing and condemning sin, the individual, 
is brought to the goal of the Torah, namely, the revelation of the Messiah himself. See how that works? So it's through the law that a person, through the law and through the Spirit, that a person who is a sinner comes to realize, once their eyes are opened by the Spirit of God, well, it comes to realize that they're not hunky-dory, that everything is not hunky-dory, that they're not okie-dokie, that everything's not okay, that actually everything's a mess, that their life is a mess, and that apart from the Messiah, they're hell-bound. And that can only be done as the Spirit of God opens the eyes of a sinner and causes him to, to actually see himself through the eyes of the Spirit, through the eyes of God himself, causes him to allow him to, to see himself for who he really is uh, outside of Messiah, and that is a bankrupt individual. And Paul was brought to that point. So I say it this way, once faced with the choice to remain in sin or to be set free by the power of the blood... Paul confesses that he, quote, died to his old self. That's what he says. For through the law, I died to the law. He died to his old self and was consequently made alive in the newness that is accredited to those who choose life. So, this idea of die, of through the law, dying to the law. right? First he says, for through the law, I died. So I'm commenting first on that section. And I think it's helpful at this point, just briefly, let me jump over... Um, uh, let me jump over to. I want to jump over to um, Romans chapter seven and show you uh, part of this in context. Let me let's see. Let's jump over. Let's use the uh, the Bible Hub for a split second. For those of you who are in my study, just uh, uh, give me a moment. I'm going to pull this verse up in the in the screen for you. Let's jump over to Romans chapter. Yeah, we don't want the interlinear. Let's jump over to Romans chapter 7, and I want you to see how Romans chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 2 verse 19 here kind of fit together, just briefly. Um, uh, basically, here we go. Um, uh, let's see which verse do I want to... Yeah, let, let's start in verse maybe 7. Paul is making this commentary in Romans 7 about himself before he became a believer. And he talks about how that uh, sin really can't be recognized and um, declared or, or uh, um, how do we say, uh, um, uh, you know, actualized in the, in the life of a believer, really, without the revelation of Torah. Uh, how does Paul put it in Romans 7, verse 7? Well, what should we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, right? So sin, reve sin is revealed because of the law. Uh, what is, how does um, uh, John put it? Um, sin is a violation of the law. First uh, John. So Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, 7, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And then verse 8, watch this. Paul says, but sin, right, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment that Paul was studying, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of uh, covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead, right? Sin and the law have this really interesting relationship. Paul says, I was once alive apart from the law. Alive? What do you mean alive? Well, in one sense, it's, it's, it's similar to what Yeshua said when he says, um, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth fruit, right? The seed, in a sense, is alive in this world 
outside of the life in God. So there's a sense that man has his own life. And uh, it's also the same in, it's the same sense that Yeshua means when he says, uh, he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's, there's this idea that man, apart from God, has life, but it's not real life. It's only limited life. It's, it's temporal life. It's life in the flesh. And so from God's eternal perspective, it's not life that's going to amount to anything in the end of days. It's, it's life that's going to be um, declared bankrupt, right? Life that's going to be destroyed uh, as a man finds his place in the eternal hellfires. And so in one sense, man is alive apart from God. He's alive in the sense that he's alive unto himself. He's not alive to God yet. He's alive unto himself. So he has his own sense of living. But, as Paul says in verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. Meaning I had this life where uh, I thought that I was living. I was, and I really was. I was living my own life, Paul says. But, Paul says, when the commandment came, meaning once his eyes were opened in that monergistic work of God, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What does he mean in verse 9 that sin came alive and I died? I think what Paul's trying to say in verse 9 is that when his eyes were opened by the Ruach HaKodesh, then Paul could actually see sin in his life for what it truly was, a violation of God's righteous standard. And he could actually then kind of do an about face and look at himself. Kind of, you know, we say I'm beside myself. That's kind of what Paul did. The new creation Paul kind of did an about face and looked at the old man Paul. New man Paul looked at the old man Paul in the eyes and realized that old man Paul really wasn't alive. He was actually quite dead. So only through the eyes of the spirit, through the new man, could Paul make this declaration. And it was because God's spirit through the Torah had allowed Paul to actually see sin for what it truly was. A violation of the law. So that's how Paul can say um, that I was once alive apart from law, meaning Paul didn't really actually understand the law the way God understands the law. Paul only understood the law from his limited fleshly perspective. And that's really the way that an unsaved man understands God's law. In other words, it's a misunderstanding. But it's a limited understanding from his perspective. So look at verse 10 in, in, in uh, Romans 7. The very commandment that promised life, right, the, the, the commandment is good. It promised life. It actually proved to be death to me, right? Paul was actually slain by the Torah. And isn't that what he just says in verse in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 19? For through the law, I died. See how, it's, see how Galatians 2, 19 fits in perfectly with the theology of Romans 7, 10. 7, uh, 7, 7 through 10, the verses I'm reading. The very commandment, right, the Torah, it, it promised life, but it proved to be death to me because the Spirit was using the Torah to kill me. For sin, verse 11 says, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, right, uh, sin is personified, uh, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, through the commandment, it killed me. So, Paul comes to this conclusion now after his eyes have been opened in verse 12. And his conclusion is, so the law is holy. Right? If we're going to follow popular Christian theology, once Paul became a believer, the law is worthless. I know those are strong words, uh, but that's essentially what Christian uh, uh, 
commentators are teaching us today that as a believer, we don't really need the law anymore. But Paul doesn't say that. What does he say in verse 12 of, of Romans 7? The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I think then that if Paul considers the law holy and the commandment holy and righteous and good, then I would stand to reason that we should too. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. All right, so let's go back over to, to my commentary. And I think you can see now that when Paul says, for through the law I died, Paul's talking about the fact that the, the law was being used by the Spirit, and actually the revelation of sin, of which the Torah, one of the roles that the Torah plays is to reveal sin for what it was, for what it is. Uh, sin itself being personified, God actually allowed sin to play its part and to deceive the dead person, the dead Paul, and to deceive him to the point that um, Paul needed to uh, recognize his need for a savior. In fact, what, what did he say there again real quick? Uh, for sin seizing the opportunity through the commandment deceived me. Sin actually deceived Paul and through it killed me. So sin is what blinds an old, uh, uh, an old man into thinking that they're okay. Sin blinds a sinner into thinking that everything's all right and that you really don't need the Messiah, that everything's okay. In fact, Paul's going to go on to say elsewhere that... Um, according to the to, to the righteousness that is found in the law from an old man perspective that Paul was blameless right he considered himself uh you know to be okay and that's really a self righteousness that we're talking about it's the righteousness that people who don't yet really know god think that they possess because uh they're really measuring their righteousness against their own um their own self-aggrandizement, right? Their own good deeds, their own achievement, their own uh, place in the pecking order of things. And so uh, it's people like that that um, think that they're holier than thou, people that think that they're better than the next man because they're doing more good deeds and that God is somehow um, uh, you know, racking up brownie points for all those good deeds that they're doing. Uh, you know, they kind of stand on the top of the heap. They look down their nose at other people. You know how it is. So this is the way that uh, unsaved people, albeit religious people, uh, view themselves. They think that they're okay. They think that they're all right. They think that basically that they're per perfect uh, in the sight of God. But it's it's only when God's Spirit opens their eyes that they realize, oy vey, I'm a mess, <laughs> right? I'm undone. You know, like 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 Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter six, when the Spirit of God uh, carried him into you know before the throne. Uh, you know, he said, uh, in, the, in the day that King uh, Uzziah died, I was high and lifted up. You know, I was brought into the, before the very throne. And what's Isaiah's uh, reaction? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, right? This is what happens when the Spirit of God ushers us into the very presence of God via the sacrifice of Yeshua. This is what happens when we truly become saved. We, we can look at our own life and realize that we are a mess, that we're dead, that we're dead in trespasses and sin, and that sin has been lying to us all along. It's been deceiving us. And that's why Paul can say in Romans 7, verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the Torah itself actually deceived me. I thought I was okay, but now I'm not. Okay, let's go back over to my commentary. I think you guys get the idea. So now we've explained the first part of the verse, for through the law I died. So what does it mean that I died to the law? For he does say that I died. He died to something. We know that he died to sin, 
meaning he died to the, 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 the stronghold that sin had on his life. He died to his old self. He died to his former, former manner of living. He died to... Um, he died to living for himself, and if we just kind of finish out the, the verse, he, he now lives to God. But what does he mean that he died to the law? Let's keep reading my commentary. But Paul says that he died to the Torah, right? The Greek word is namos, he died to the law. What does it mean by such a statement? Are we to assume that in Yeshua, Paul is now somehow dead to obedience to the Torah? May it never be! Right? This is what the Christian church is teaching us. And I know they're well-meaning, and I have every love and respect for my uh, Christian friends and, and uh, family members that, that believe that they're dead to the law based on what uh, Galatians 2.19 is teaching here. But I, I'm going to have to strongly disagree. I don't think Paul is teaching us that he's dead to the law. Instead, what, it, what Paul is saying, simply put, he now realizes that his new life in the Spirit is a life to be lived without the fear of being condemned as a sinner by the very Torah he previously thought he was upholding, right? Let's go back over to Romans uh, again. And this time, let's jump over to Romans. Let me increase the font for you a bit there, because it's kind of small. Uh, now, after this whole discussion in Romans 7, where Paul talks about uh, be, being dead to the law, uh, I'm sorry, being being dead uh, dying and, and coming back to life, as it were, right? Um, all, after all of this, Paul says in Romans 8, look what he says in Romans 8, 1. And this is a, an extremely popular verse in Christianity. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's got this new perspective on his life, as it's related to God and God's Torah, God's righteous standard. And what is that new perspective? He realizes that he is no longer a condemned criminal in God's courtroom. And then because he is no longer a condemned criminal, he no longer has to view the Torah the way that he formerly did when he was a condemned sinner, when he was a condemned criminal. And so this, I believe, as we go back to my commentary, I think this is the best way to view his the, the final statement where he says, I died to the law. What he, I think what he means is, as I read my commentary, um, simply put, he now realizes, starting in this sentence right here, simply put, Paul now realizes that his new life in the Spirit is a life to be lived without the fear of being condemned. Uh, in other words, recall Romans 8.1. The fear of being condemned as a sinner by the very Torah he previously thought he was upholding. Look at the rest of my commentary. The Torah, we have to agree, the Torah actually has a properly installed, built-in function of sentencing sinners to become the object of Hashem's punishment and ultimate rejection, right? It's a rejection that will result in death if the person never chooses the Messiah of life. We have to think of it from God's perspective. From God's perspective, you either for Him or against Him, right? That's the viewpoint from God. Either you're for me or you're for against me, or you're against me. Which means if you're not in Messiah then you're outside of God's will, and you're basically outside of God's promises, and you're outside of God's blessing. Meaning, you are a candidate not only for the curses of God, but ultimately you're a candidate for the condemnation of God. Because one day, God is going to bring the gavel down on every single man. He's going to bring the gavel of judgment down on Yom Hadin, and he's going to declare whether or not a man is a sinner or a saint. And there's only two choices. And if you are not in Messiah, 
then I'm afraid that you are going to be found to be a sinner. And therefore, you will be found to be condemned. You will not be found to be righteous in God. You will be found to be condemned. And Paul now realizes that in Messiah, he has been released from that jurisdiction of the Torah, that part of the Torah that holds jurisdiction and power over condemned sinners. That's what he means by, I died to the law. I died to the law of condemnation, if I could uh, elongate what I believe is essentially a gloss. So, uh, as I say it in my teaching here, um, Paul is teaching, starting right here, Paul is teaching the Galatians that his own personal choice of Yeshua is to be understood as a death of self and a death of the former life that Torah condemned, right? Torah condemned the old man. Torah condemned the old Paul. And so Paul realizes that his choice of Yeshua condemns the old self and that the Torah condemns uh, uh, you know, the old life that was condemned by the Torah, in favor of a new life that Paul has, a new life of serving God through the Spirit. So Paul is a new man. He's a new man. And because he's a new man, uh, this choice, Paul recognizes, is a choice that was brought on not in and of himself. Paul couldn't really muster this up in and of himself. Paul didn't save himself, so to say. It was actually brought on by the revelation of the Messiah found within the very pages of the Torah itself. So Paul has come to this revelation because the Spirit of God has opened his eyes so that he can turn around and look back at the very pages of the Torah that he had been studying his whole life, albeit through blinded eyes. We get the same concept going on in... Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is, I may have to go back and look that up too, where Paul uses these this terminology of uh, Old Covenant and New Covenant. But the idea that, that the old man reading the Torah, the old man being Paul before he came to the knowledge of Yeshua, the old man reading Torah cannot see the Torah for what it truly is, which is really the revelation of, of Messiah and the revelation of God's standard righteousness. Instead, um, the old man who reads the Torah has a limited scope, has a limited perspective of the words of Torah. And so he can only see uh, from a limited kind of a, a, a horizontal perspective. He can't really see the depth and the beauty of the Torah for what it truly is. And so uh, even though he may think he's serving God in his, in his, in his religious duty, you know, he's, as we say in Jewish circles, he's very, uh, uh, he's very dati or he's very frum if we can use the, uh, the Yiddish word. Uh, he's, he's Shomer Mitzvot, right? He's, he's a keeper of the commandment, uh, right? He's Shomer Shabbat. He's a keeper of the Sabbath. And, and he's very, um, uh, uh, what we say, uh, uh, very detailed in, in making sure that he's, he's crossing his I's and dotting his T's. And he's, he's doing all that he knows he can to keep the Torah in service to God, he thinks. Even even in his heart, he might be thinking, I'm serving God, right? I'm loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. He's doing all that he thinks he's supposed to be doing. But I'm here to tell you people that outside of the, of the, um, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit within him, in the end of days, he's actually serving himself. And this is really a sad commentary for those who are otherwise recognized as genuinely good people, good religious people. Um, people who are otherwise well-meaning and, um, uh, um, in, other, in other words, they describe themselves as religious and they say that they love God. But um, unfortunately, they don't get the, the final perspective. 
They don't get the final say. God himself does. And at the end of the day, if they have not confessed Yeshua as the way, the truth, and the life, then God will look at them and declare, depart from me. I ne- Well, it's Yeshua who will say this, right? Depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you, ye that work iniquity, right? I think he says that in Matthew chapter, uh, somewhere around chapter 7. So it's it's a sad commentary that people like Paul, before they came to Yeshua, actually think they're that they're saved. They think they're righteous. They think they're doing okay. They think that they're headed into the Olam Haba, the age to come. They're headed into God's presence. But until the Spirit opens their eyes, they don't really know it, right? So they are deceived by sin. They're deceived by themselves. So that's really what Paul's trying to say. The freedom, as I close my commentary on this verse right here, such freedom in Messiah does not liberate one from Torah. Why would Paul need to to um, champion a cause that teaches that now that the now that I realize the, uh, what the Torah truly is, now that I realize that I was a sinner and that I was hellbound and that there's no way that I was really going to meet God, despite all my um, self effort, despite all my righteousness, despite all my good deeds, my good intentions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, why would Paul champion a theology that now teaches that the Torah is no longer relevant or um, useful in the life of a believer. May it never be. Such freedom in Messiah does not liberate one from Torah. Rather, such freedom liberates one to be able to walk into Torah as properly assisted and seen from God's perspective. Let's go back over to Romans again and see this. Okay? Paul now realizes, as we start chapter, Romans chapter 8, that he is a believer now. Right, he's been talking in chapter seven about how he was an, how he had died to his former self. He died to the condemnation of the Torah, and the, the whole thrust of chapter seven is to get believers to understand that there is a new life in Messiah, and it is drastically different from the old life that we had before we knew Messiah. And so, let's just keep reading Romans chapter eight, and we'll just go from. Um, chapter uh, verse 1 all the way down to uh, verse 8. We'll see how Paul's not going to describe uh, a release from Torah. On the contrary, he's going to explain that the old man actually cannot keep Torah, which leads us to the conclusion that the new man can. Watch this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they have been acquitted. They've been declared righteous, right? It's the righteousness that Messiah has conferred to us forensically. We are now new people. We le- enter the court as sinners. We leave God's court as saints, right? It's a beautiful thing. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from not the law of Moses, but from the law of sin and death. I don't know of any Christian who calls the the, the jurisdiction of the law, the law of sin and death. There is an aspect that the law of Moses is the law of sin and death insofar as it applies to a person who is outside of Messiah. This is true. And so, if you're going to say that Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death, and you're going to call the, 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 the law of Moses actually the law of death, then you have to make the extremely important clarification that the law of Moses is only the administration of death to those who are outside of Messiah. And that's true because Paul says that elsewhere in his letters. In fact, I think we're going to read about that in, later on in Galatians. But essentially, Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death, from the, from the realm of death uh, when he brought us into new life. Let's keep reading verse 3 in Romans, 7, Romans 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. 
right? Isn't that interesting that there is a weakness of the law and it's weak insofar as it is, pow- it is powerless to change the, the heart of a man into uh, accepting Yeshua. In other words, without the Spirit of God, the, the, the law itself is just uh, letters on parchment. It's just ink on parchment. It's just letters on a page. And uh, by the way, that's true of the New Testament, in case you're thinking that I'm disparaging the Torah. The New Testament itself, outside of the regenerative work of the Spirit, the words of the New Testament does no good. They do no good to, for anyone. You can read the New Testament to your blue in the face, but until your eyes are opened by the Spirit, the words are not doing you any good. They're intellectual nutrition, to be sure, and they provide a measured amount of behavioral uh, sanctification because they're going to allow you to uh, walk a righteous lifestyle uh, from the perspective of doing the right thing. In other words, you're going to have a measure of righteousness that's described as behavioral, right? Uh, if you if you walk according to the New Testament, but the the bigger picture that Paul would have us understand is that um, the law was weakened by the flesh. It 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 ultimately was not given for the purpose of changing the heart of stone into the heart of flesh, to use the words of, say, Ezekiel chapter 36. The the law was not given for that purpose. It can't change the heart. It can point out sin, and it demonstrates the righteousness of God, and it points to Messiah. But until the Spirit of God lays a hold of the Word of God, then the Torah itself is kind of powerless. And that's kind of what Paul's trying to talk, trying to explain when he says the law was weakened by the flesh. In fact, um, Paul's going to go on and tell us elsewhere in his teachings that the, the Torah actually stirs up sin. The, the Torah, in the hands of an old man, in the hands of a sinner, in the hands of a person who's unsaved, it actually stimulates us to sin even more. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's, that's kind of a scary thing. <laughs> okay. Um, so he continues in verse 3, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Right? We were already on our way to being condemned, and Christ came along and condemned sin in the flesh, and therefore he severed the tie. He broke the legal um, agreement that sin had over us. He set us free. And therefore, Paul's going to go on to say in verse 4, why did, or what's the result of this? Uh, breaking of a contract with sin. What happens now in our life as believers? Paul says, in order that what? The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Look at that again. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Well, gosh, how is that possible? If we throw out the Torah as believers, we can't quite actually fulfill and continue to walk into the righteous requirement of the law if we're removing it from our lives as new creation believers. You see my point? Paul doesn't want us to throw away the Torah, right? It, it's actually, I understand it's, it's, it's the work of Messiah in us that fulfills that righteousness first and foremost. But it's remember, it's not just that Messiah set us free from sin, but God actually expects us, nay, God commands us to walk into Torah. God commands us to walk into forensic righteous, or to behavioral righteousness. And the only way that we can do that is by the power of the Spirit. The only way we can do that is if we recognize that we are new creations, right? That we have, uh, that we have a heart of flesh, the one that's described in Ezekiel chapter 36. That we have, that we have the, 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 the law, law has been written on our hearts that's described in, in uh, uh, 
what is it, Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, so we, we have to uh, appropriate this truth, like Paul's trying to teach us, that the righteous requirement of law can and must be fulfilled in us. But there's only one way. There's only one way. First, it starts with the Messiah's work in us. It starts with the Messiah setting us free. But then, look what happens in this verse. Paul says, it happens when we, what? Walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So as we walk into Torah as believers, we've got to do it by the power of the Spirit. In fact, that's truly, as Paul's going to say here as I'm getting ahead of myself, that's truly the only way that we can, people. Look at this, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, this is Paul talking not only about people who are unsaved, but also talking about believers who have not yet surrendered their lives to the power of the Spirit. In other words, they're what Ryrie might call carnal Christians. People who, uh, you know, that's kind of an oxymoron, right? A carnal Christian. People who really are saved but are living according to the flesh. They're still kind of letting the flesh govern their their uh, passions. They're letting their old habits take control of themselves. Uh, you know, they've really not um, learned what it means to be filled with the Spirit, like Ephesians chapter 5 tells us. Um, to crucify the flesh like Paul tells us elsewhere in his letters. So, those who live according to the flesh, who set their minds on the things of the flesh, these are the people who um, are really living defeated lives. There's no one, I think one popular Christian said, one pastor said, there's no one more miserable than a carnal Christian. Because he's the person who actually is saved, but who's not living the way he should. He's living... And he's, he's, what does Paul say? He's, he's, he's um, kicking against the goads, as, as Yeshua would say to Paul. He's resisting the Holy Spirit. He's, he's, he's on his way to quenching the Holy Spirit in his life, and that's a shame. So Paul says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. And that's not the way we want to live. By contrast, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This idea of living according to the Spirit and setting our minds on the Spirit. For those of us who have come to the understanding uh, through uh, what what Paul's really teaching us in the book of Galatians, we understand that a lifestyle according to Torah is in perfect harmony with what Paul just said here in verse 6, verse 5. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So when we Messianics actually run headlong into Sabbath, kosher, um, the festivals, uh, putting a mezuzah on our door, wearing tzitzit, um, doing the things that we read about in the Torah, the things that we're able to do, right? Obviously, we're not able to keep the sacrifices and things like that. But the other things that we're able to do under our own power, in the absence of a temple, when we walk into those things, we realize that we're actually walking according to the Spirit. Verse 6, Romans 7, I'm sorry, Romans 8, verse 6, for to set the mind of the flesh is death. And we who are believers realize that. And that's why we don't walk according to to the flesh. But, again, here's the contrast, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so, again, there's kind of two pictures in view. There's this kind of short uh, life in this age view where if we walk according to Torah, there's there's temporal blessings. Uh, Yeshua said it well, I came that that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly, right? So we've got eternal life and we've got life in this age. So we've got life in this age and life in the age to come. That's how I kind of interpret the two lives that he's mentioning there, life and life to life more abundantly. So we walk according to Torah because blessings 
are at the end, right? It's the way of blessing. It's uh, it's the um, it's the ancient paths that bring the blessing. And so we messianics uh, continue our walk in Torah because God promises that blessings are uh, uh, enjoined upon those who walk in Torah. I mean, just read Psalm chapter 19. Read Psalm chapter 119, right? And you'll get an idea that uh, blessing is in store for you if you walk according to Torah. But there's also eternal life in store for us as we continue to walk according to the Spirit. And that's because we continually rely on the Spirit of God to um, remind us that it's only through the finished work of Messiah that we're going to be ushered into the presence of God. It's not by any work that we can do, and it's not even really by keeping the Torah that we're brought into the presence of God. We understand that. So look at this. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. And he says in verse 7, and this is kind of the one that I've been building a crescendo towards, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. This is Paul before he came to know Yeshua. This is Paul when he was unbeliever. This is Paul when he was a religious Pharisee who thought he was okay, who thought he was perfect, who thought he was blameless, the word he uses elsewhere in his letters, who thought that he was on his way into the presence of God because... He was doing everything he thought the law was asking of him. But then God opened his eyes to realize that he was falling desperately short of the righteousness of God. He realized that he was a sinner instead of a saint. And now he can say with with confidence that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. This means that the mind that does not accept Yeshua is hostile to God. The mind that does not realize that he is a sinner and does not surrender himself to the saving power of the Spirit This person is hostile to God. Ultimately, this is God's perspective on men. This is God's perspective. And we have to to, to, um, humble ourselves and come to this conclusion that outside of Messiah, we are hostile to God. That's why Yeshua said, you're either for me or you're against me. But notice notice what Paul continues to say in verse 7 as I close my commentary down tonight. This this, uh, mind that is hostile to God actually does not submit to God. To God's law. See it there? So Paul could not have really been keeping the law before he became a believer. And in a very real sense, those who do not confess Yeshua, for all their for all their self-righteousness, for all their self-effort, for all their good intentions, they really can't keep the law. They really cannot submit to God's law. Because according to Paul's understanding, they cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot submit because their their mind is hostile to God. And he gives a kind of a closing commentary in verse 8 on the whole, the whole matter. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as we go back to uh, Galatians and see it there again, uh, verse 2.19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Which means, until he died... Until he died to the condemnation of the law, until he died uh, and, and allowed the, the, the Spirit of God to open his eyes and to see the Messiah in the law, until Paul came to the realization that that uh, the righteousness of the law could not be fulfilled under his own power, until, until Paul came to this realization, Paul was not living to God. He was actually living to himself. 
And he can say this now as a believer. He can realize the stark contrast between his life, his former life of Judaism, the way he describes it earlier in the book of Galatians, his former life, his former manner of life as a Jew, and his current manner of life as a Jew. And this becomes a very, very strong uh, word of caution and warning and uh, of, of teaching to those in the book of Galatians who are seeking to attain some sort of righteousness outside of the cross event, outside of the finished work of Messiah. Paul would have them realize, you can embrace the Torah, and that's that's not so bad. That's not a bad thing to do. If, you're, if you have a choice of being a stone-cold pagan, Paul would say to his Gentile readers, if you have the choice of being a stone-cold pagan, or embracing the Torah as a converted Jew, at least you're on the path towards righteousness. At least you're um, starting your path down, you're starting your journey uh, towards behavioral righteousness, right? You're beginning down the, the road that God would have you go down. You're at least starting down the journey of grace. You're headed in the right direction, is what Paul would say. But the Torah is not the end's in a, in and of itself, it's not an uh, it, it's not the goal in and of itself. What does Paul say in Romans ten, uh, four? For Messiah is the goal that the Torah is pointing towards. It's the telos, right? It's the goal. It's the aim at which mus, uh, uh, the Torah is pointing towards the Messiah. It's like this. It's like this gigantic flashlight in an, an extremely dark room that's pointing towards the only door out of the room. Picture mankind all locked up, shut up, in this uh, dark room. And there's only one way out of this dark room, and it's the doorway at the far end. And because mankind is groping about in darkness, he cannot find the door. He cannot see the door. He doesn't have any idea that the doorway door is even there. And so he spends his entire life uh, groping about in darkness and not even really even knowing that it's that it's utter darkness. But along comes this gigantic spotlight, shining and piercing through the darkness, as it were. And shining on, like a spotlight does, shining on this door at the far end of the hallway that the people in darkness didn't even know where it was there. And so what, what do they need to do? They need to follow the beam of this very bright spotlight. Follow it to the end. And so in my analogy of this dark room and the spotlight and the door... The dark room is mankind before he comes to know Messiah. The dark room is the life outside of God, outside of Messiah. But it's a life lived unto their self. A life lived unto himself. A life lived in religious fervor. A life lived as a religious Jew. A life lived as a religious Gentile. Fill in the blank. Life lived outside of God. It's, it's all the same. From God's perspective, it's, it's, it's dead man. And the spotlight that I'm describing, my little analogy, is the Torah. The spotlight is the Torah. And so what do we do? We follow the Torah down the path that it is shining for us until we reach the door. And what is the door? Or more properly, who is the door? Everyone already knows the door is the Messiah. And so it's a wonderful thing that the Torah shines the light of God onto the Son of God. And we are to follow the Torah until we reach the goal. And as Paul was, is going to explain elsewhere in the book of Galatians, and we're going to get to it once we uh, get to Romans chapter 3, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3, how that the Torah is this 
this uh, schoolmaster to lead us to the teacher of righteousness, who is the Messiah, right? Um, once we actually reach the Messiah and our eyes become opened uh, and our hearts become softened, it's only then that we can realize that we can live unto God. Then we can declare like Paul declared, for through the law, through the spotlight that was shining itself onto the Messiah, through the, the Torah revealing sin for its ugliness, through the sin showing me that I was a helpless sinner, through the Torah and the power of the Spirit, through the law, I died to the the condemnation of the darkness that I was living in. I died to the ultimate effect of sin, that the, 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 uh, the stronghold that sin had over me and over my life. I died to the... Um, the uh, uh, the condemnation of the law. I died to the law, is what Paul's saying. I died to the, just insert the word condemnation there before the word law. Through the power of the Spirit working through the law, I died to the condemnation of the law that I might live to God. Amen? Amen. And I think that's really a better way to understand verse 19. So, with that, we'll stop and we'll be ready to pick up verse 21 Next week, where Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And, of course, we know the Christian interpretation is that um, a righteousness through the keeping of the law. The Jewish people were trying to keep the law to become saved. But I'm going to challenge that view like I always do. Okay? Oh, by the way, I, I did want to say one last thing uh, before I, I uh, shut down the commentary. I notice in David Stern's rendering of, of Galatians 2, uh, 19, David Stern says, For it was through letting the Torah speak for itself that I died to a traditional legalistic misinterpretation so that I might live in direct relationship to God. I think David Stern's uh, contribution to the Messianic community has been invaluable. But I'm going to have to disagree with his interpretation of verse 19 here. Because I don't think that Paul's really trying to ex explain that he died to the legalistic misinterpretation of the law. In some sense, it's true. Paul did die to that aspect of the law. And it is equally true that we know that in the first century, the Jewish people uh, were extremely misguided concerning um, the uh, Torah, especially as regards their uh, appropriation or embracing, embracing of the what we call the oral Torah, right? the oral law, the traditions of the elders, the traditions of the fathers. Uh, and there was this, this real strong preoccupation with the oral Torah, the oral traditions. And these types of things had blinded the Jewish people in Paul's day to, to really sing the true intentions of the law. Yeshua said it well. They, they had set aside the commandments of God in favor of the traditions of men. And this was a shame. And so there was this kind of this legalistic misinterpretation of the law that was going on in Paul's day. But I don't think that's what Paul means when he says, I died to the law. I don't think Paul's trying to say that he died to the traditional misinterpretation, the, the legalistic misinterpretation, like David Stern's uh, 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 suggesting here. I think the full weight of what Paul's trying to teach us here is that, the, like I said before, the Torah has a built-in righteous function where it condemns sinners. And it must do that in order for God to be a righteous God. God must condemn sinners. Ultimately, he must condemn sin. And ultimately, he must pronounce judgment on sinners who fail to acquire the righteousness that only God can extend to them through the Son of God himself, through Yeshua. So God, in his righteousness, must ultimately judge sinners 
who are found at the end of days to be outside of Messiah. And it is that aspect of God's righteousness that um, Paul realizes um, that he was he, he was a condemned sinner. And I think that's what Paul really means when he says um, that I died to the law. I died to that condemnation aspect of the law. So I think that's the stronger way to read verse 19 rather than what David Stern's trying to say there. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, given the, 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 the greater weight of, of what we read, for instance, in Romans chapter 7, which itself is couched within this whole teaching that begins in really Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, this kind of building crescendo of the, of the condemnation uh, aspects of the law, the, the condemning aspects, the, um, the, uh, the, the, really the path that sin takes us down towards, towards uh, being condemned by God, the, the stronghold that sin has over us, um, what do we say, the bondage to sin, etc., etc. Uh, just take some time one of these days before you just jump right into Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and read about how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take some time and let Paul's uh, teachings in chapter 5, 6, and 7 build to a crescendo of this idea that, that as sinners, we have no choice but to confess that we are um, uh, slaves to sin, right, in Romans 5, 6, and 7, and that as slaves to sin, there's really no other destination for us except to, uh, uh, to meet with the condemnation of God at the end of days, once we realize that that's where our life of sin is leading us. And it's only, it's only through surrendering to the power of Messiah that we can then declare in Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation for those of us who have been set free by Messiah. Make sense? All right. So with that said, I think I'll shut down the commentary. I went a little over. And next week we'll pick up in, um, we'll start in Galatians 2 with uh, verse 19. I'm sorry, with verse 21. Okay? Let's close in prayer. And then for those of you who are in the study tonight, uh, let's let's only take about 10 minutes or so I uh, to um, maybe chat uh, but let's close in prayer. Stay with me if you're in the live study, and um, uh, we'll have some live chat, okay? Let's pray. Avino, my king, our father, our king, I want to thank you again for allowing us to meet together tonight. I pray that you'll continue to raise us up as a people, as a chi- as a children of the living God, as Jews and Gentiles, called out of darkness into your marvelous light, brought into the realization that we have been set free by the power of Messiah, that we no longer have to fear the condemnation of the Torah, but now we can actually understand that we can walk into the righteousness and we th- that we can actually fulfill the right requirement of the law through the Messiah, Yeshua. And that by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the words of the law written on our heart, that we actually can be pleasing to you, that we can live unto God, not live unto ourselves. Thank you that you have... Uh, uh, shown us the way that you are declaring unto us the words of life, that you're giving us a purpose and a a sense uh, of uh, living a a destiny that is sure and that we know that that the anchor of our soul is the Messiah himself. Bless you, Father, for uh, the words of Torah that have been preserved for us down through the ages and that you are giving us the power to walk in them. Uh, Be with each and every student tonight as we go our separate ways. I pray that you'll uh, protect us this week, raise us up, continue to heal us, and bring us back together next week for uh, another chance to sit at your feet and to uh, soak up your words. Thank you for all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. 
That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>